Our journey again tonight takes us to the middle of Romans 8 as we continue our series on this great chapter. I will also, our first passage we'll look at will be in Daniel 10 in a moment. Daniel 10. I, I remember uh, fondly my time at the University of Georgia, uh, 2000 to 2004, and some of you may not know this, that I originally majored in journalism broadcast news. And so what that meant and included was it meant on-the-job training, in essence, when it came to broadcast over the TV journalism. And each weeknight, we would do a news broadcast. Um, and so it would go out over the university's television channel. And so kids who are there, I'm sure they were anticipating each night in their dorm rooms watching our newscast. But they could watch as we would present the news to them, to the, the amateur to, to the ignorant, it would seem to them that that broadcast, that the entirety of it, consisted of one person or a person talking into the television, and on the other end, a person receiving that, the person sitting in their dorm room receiving that news. Just two people there. But I'm here to tell you, there were a lot of students, a lot of people working behind the scenes. You had cameramen and women operating three cameras. You had a director who was calling the shots. You had a technical director who was doing what the shots that were called to do, switching cameras or going to this video or, or throwing up a graphic. You had the audio person who would be operating an audio panel similar to what we have back there. You'd have somebody running the teleprompter. Oh, thank God for the person who ran the teleprompter. And you had a whole bunch of other people, all with different jobs that made it all work and unbeknownst perhaps to the dorm room kid there were all these people working behind the scenes to make it work i think that we sometimes view prayer like the ignorant college student we think that i have thought i can think that the entirety of my prayer life consists of me praying talking in a direction, and God essentially sitting on a sofa listening to the things that I have to say, and that's it. However, there's a whole lot more going on, and I would argue there's a team working behind the scenes to make all that work and all that happen. And when we get to the middle of Romans 8 in a moment, you're going to see that. Uh, for example, if we were to ask a question, why... When we pray for something, do we have to wait on it to take place? We get frustrated. God, why are you making me wait weeks and weeks and weeks or months and months or years and years for this thing to come about that I prayed about oh so long ago? And we come up with our answers. You know, there is one time in Scripture why I, where I find an answer of when somebody had to wait, and that's Daniel in Daniel 10. Daniel does a Three weeks, for a period of 21 days, he fasts and he prays. He brings his petitions, his cries to God over and over and over again for 21 days. Has to wait forever. And a finally, after 21 days, an angel finally shows up. And Daniel may be thinking to himself, well, why did I have to wait three weeks for you to get here? And in Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, if I can paraphrase... Verses 12 through 13, the angel says something to this effect. From the very moment that you started praying, 
day one, hour one, minute one of those 21 days, I was sent on the way to you. But I got in a battle with the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and I had to fight him for the past three weeks until Michael could come along and help me so that I could then come to you. What he tells Daniel is, the reason you had to wait is because there was this whole spiritual battle going on behind the scenes that you had no clue about was going on. Again, we're like the ignorant college student who has no clue of what's going on behind the scenes when we pray. You know, it could be that sometimes we have to wait because there's an angelic battle going on that we have no idea about. There's more going on behind the scenes when we pray, and that's what takes us to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Paul writes there in the middle of this great chapter, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep. For words. I'm just going to tell you what I see right there real quick. I am weak, so I must pray, but I don't know how, so I need help. I am weak, so I must pray, but I don't know how, so I need help. I am weak. Notice the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That Greek word translated weakness there, when it's used throughout the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it refers to physical ailments or infirmities, the thing that Jesus would heal. But when we dive into the epistles, for example, earlier in Romans, I think it's Romans 6, 19, one of the places there, Paul talks about the weakness of being unable to understand and comprehend spiritual things. Unable to comprehend spiritual things, that that's a weakness. Or the same Greek word shows up in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The weakness there that Jesus has embodied and understands is that propensity and susceptibility to sin, but he did not. And then in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 2, that same Greek word weakness is used to talk about the, the, the lean that we can have to ignorance and waywardness. That's a lot of stuff. We have the whole gamut from physical ailments and infirmities all the way to ignorance to susceptibility to sin. And so what this word embodies in its fullness is just all the baggage, all the jank that comes with life in this flesh and life on this earth. And it's a lot. And so Paul begins by saying, I am, we are weak. So what? So we must pray. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, as we ought, some translations say as we should. I'll be honest with you, 
the first time I read that text, I said, is Paul saying what I think he's saying? Is he saying, Craig, what's the matter with you? What's your problem? Don't you know how to pray? You should know how to pray better than this. That's what I thought he was saying. As you ought to pray or as you should. I'm not so sure about that now. That Greek term that's translated as you ought is most commonly translated with this following meaning. As is necessary or as one must do. As is necessary or as one must do. I think that Paul is stressing and emphasizing that prayer, that prayer, because of our weakness, is something that we ought to do, we should do, more than that, is necessary. We must be doing it if we're going to get through the horrible things, the sufferings, the weaknesses of this life. So he's saying, don't neglect it. We've got to do it. We've got to figure this out. So I am weak. So I must pray, but I do not know how. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. There's an ignorance there. Um, in the songbooks here, there's a song, There is a Balm in Gilead. And the lyrics in this songbook are different. I'm not going to call them unscriptural. I'm just going to say different. Thank you, one person. All right. What, what, I, would, what I would say is the, the ones that I grew up with had this lyric in it. It said, if you cannot preach like Peter, if you cannot pray like Paul. And I'm going to stop right there because this song, if you cannot pray like Paul, holds up the Apostle Paul as the super-duper prayer. Now go back to our verse, and who's the guy saying we, including himself, don't know what to pray for as we ought? It is our super-duper prayer, Paul. And if Paul doesn't know how to pray, then Craig Middleton surely doesn't know what to pray for as he ought. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you now, if I've got to stomp on your toes, I'm about to do it. You don't have a clue what you're praying about either. None of us do. None of us know what to pray for as we ought. There's a guy named Pythagoras. The Pythagorean theorem is named after him. Good stuff. Oh, good stuff. Am I allowed to preach about? That's not, not appropriate here, but I love it. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Good stuff. But this guy Pythagoras... This guy, Pythagoras, he forbade his disciples. He, he, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't a disciple of Jesus Christ, but he, just, he forbade his disciples for, for praying uh, for themselves. He, he forbade it because he said they, they, they wouldn't know in their ignorance. They wouldn't be able to do it. Socrates, who was mentioned this morning, he said, he told his disciples, told those he taught, you can only pray to God for good things. You can't be specific because in your ignorance, you don't know what good things really are. You can just pray for good things. Historian William Barclay shared those. And, and so if these guys just out there, they understood Pythagoras, Socrates, they got that we really don't have a clue. Then, man, I'm concerned that, yeah, we really, we really don't know. I think James got this. 
especially when we're weak. In James chapter 5 and verse 14, he says, is anyone among you sick? We've all been there. When you're just down and out and you can't do a thing for yourself, you certainly can't pray for things like you ought. And so what does James say to do? Well, if you're sick, let him or her call for the elders of the church and let them pray over that person. The idea is when you find yourself in that moment where you don't know what to pray for, bring in spiritual men who can pray for you. And if we go back to our text, Paul is saying it, it ain't just limited to those times. Really, we as a people in our weakness of this flesh really don't know what to pray for. So we need continual help. And that's something that the elders can't give us. We need supernatural spiritual help to get there. I am weak. So I must pray, uh, but I don't know how. So I need help. Likewise, the Spirit helps. That's how the verse begins. Likewise, the Spirit helps. Paul, I know you said back in Romans 8.18 about how the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. That's great and all, but yeah, you know what? I got to wait a while for that stuff to come about. That's not doing me any good right now. Tell me, give me some help right now. And so Paul says, let me tell you something that can help you through that suffering and through those weaknesses right now. It's what the Spirit is doing. The Spirit helps. Present tense, present tense, right now is helping in your life. Helps, helps you. I was a high school math teacher for seven years and one of the, the special honors given to me is that for a handful of those at the graduation ceremony each year, I would be the guy that would read out all the names at graduation. We're talking, it could be 250 to 300 names at our high school seniors graduating. And if you wanna talk about something that has a lot of pressure, it is making sure you don't mess up little Johnny or little Marie's name at the most important day of their life at graduation. So the principal at our high school trusted me to do this because you know, I was good at handling difficult words. And so when Elena Vyacheslavovna Gutsaeva would come across the stage, I was going to make sure I got that right. I think they applauded me and not her when, when, when that happened. Big words I'm usually good with. But the word translated helps. The transliteration of that Greek word, you guys, is something else. All right, that's, 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 all, that's all one word. I just couldn't fit it all on there. It's not supercali, it's, it's an anti-labanomai, roughly. Long word, translated helps. It's used only, as far as I know, three other times in the Bible. If we take the Greek Old Testament, the, the Septuagint, and, and combine it uh, with the New Testament. One of the places is in Exodus, when Moses is getting burnt out. He's weak. He's trying to handle everything by himself. And his father-in-law comes to him, you're going to wear yourselves out and the people with you, you're going to wear them all out if you don't get help. And so he tells him, get some other men to help you when it comes to judging the affairs of Israel. 
and the words there used so that they will bear the burden with you. Bear the burden. And that's our word right here. We should very easily say, likewise, the Spirit bears our burden with us. And that would be a fair and accurate translation. That This word also showed up culturally. I remember when my kids were smaller and they were just beginning to walk. And what I would get them to do is, they, you know, when kids, how they have that, they can grip your finger when they're little. And so I'd put my fingers right here out and the kid would, Katie or Zach or Evelyn, would take hold of my fingers and I could help them walk just like that. And one commentator says this word translated helps is borrowed from nurses in that day who would either hold a child up by the hands or by the sleeves so that child could walk. Paul is basically saying the work of the Spirit here, the Spirit's work is so that you can walk. Likewise, the Spirit, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But, now let's get to this, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Paul is yelling twice here. I'm going to add a third yell. Paul yells twice. Yelling number one. Did you hear about what happened in that school the other day? There was a kid acting all a fool, was standing up on top of his desk and yelling and acting all crazy. And that kid, he said he was not going to get down. He was going to keep standing on that desk and pitching a fit. And would you know, the principal himself came down to that room and got that kid and yanked him and took him up to the office. Now, as I was telling that story that I just made up just then, but maybe all too real in some of your classrooms, I said the principal himself, that little reflexive pronoun added on himself is attached to really emphasize it's the principal you better believe that came down and did that action. And so Paul says that what? The spirit himself, this is rare in the Greek, doesn't happen too often. The spirit himself intercedes for us. Please understand the intercession that's going on. Let's give dibs. Let's give credit. It's the Holy Spirit that's involved in our prayers. Paul is yelling it. The spirit himself is doing that. The Greek word intercedes. It's almost like Paul invented his own word because this is the only time it shows up. It's the only place I've ever known it to exist. It's the normal word for intercedes, and he puts a prefix in front of it. He puts the prefix hyper. You know, glycemia is glucose in your blood. Hyperglycemia means you have what? High blood sugar. I know what it is to drive but I didn't know till Star Wars what it meant to go into hyperdrive, super speed. And so Paul, again, he, it seems like he's invented his own word. He says the Spirit himself doesn't just intercede, he hyper-intercedes. If there is interceding gone to a hyperdrive level, that is what the Spirit is doing for you. It is the most awesome intercession you can have. That's what the Spirit's doing. Those are the two Paul yells. Let me give you the Craig yell. 
The Spirit helps us, though, when we pray. And so if we're neglecting prayer, we're missing out big time on the help and the intercession of the Spirit. And we end up, like Martha, anxious and troubled and bitter and angry and say, God, why have you left me to do this all alone? Don't neglect prayer. Don't neglect it. A couple of things about the intercession of the Spirit. Verse 27 states that it is according to the will of God. According to the will of God. If you go forward to Romans 12 and verse 2, so that's forward four chapters, and you look at the very end of that verse, Romans 12 and verse 2, you find out how the word of God, or the will of God, I should say, is described. It's described as good and acceptable and perfect. The will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. And so this is my way of trying to understand a spiritual thing, which is probably beyond my comprehension, but I'll just put it to you like this. What I like to think of is that the Spirit of God, in his intercession and helping of my prayers, because I don't know what to pray for as I ought, he takes my twisted, messed up, lacking prayer, and he makes it according to the will of God. He says, Father, I know that they said this, but what they really mean is something like this. He makes it good and acceptable and perfect. And the second part of his intercession, it is classified as with groanings too deep for words. Some, <laughs> some of us got a messed up view of the Spirit. Probably all of us have a messed up. I, some of us think that the, the Spirit cannot articulate words, cannot say things. I encourage you to look at Acts chapter 8, for example, and this is just one of the places we get to. Acts chapter 8, Philip's walking along, doing his own thing, Philip the evangelist, and the Spirit's like, hey, Philip, go over to that chariot over there with very clear words, and I know I paraphrased. The Spirit can speak words if he wants to speak words. So when we go to Romans 8, 27, what we're looking at is the Spirit's not groaning because those are the only sounds that the Spirit can make. The Spirit could speak words if the Spirit wanted to. Instead, why is the Spirit groaning? Because if you go back and you look at what Ben presented last week, and you scan verses 18 to 25, you'll see a couple times in there some groaning that's mentioned. And that is the, the sufferings, the difficulties, the trials, the tribulation that all of creation, and yes, us Christians, have to deal with because of life on this earth. And so the Spirit groans within us too. Why? How? We often celebrate and glorify and praise, and rightfully so, how Jesus, the Son of God, left, emptied himself, left the ivory palaces, and came to live a life on this earth. What condescension, what humility, what sacrifice. But I want you to understand tonight is that the Spirit, in a different way, has condescended, has humbled himself, and has sacrificed. Because 
to dwell within us means to experience what we experience and feel what we feel. And this passage tells me that the Spirit is hurting and yearning and mourning and groaning alongside us as we hurt, as we are weak, as we are in pain. And so what I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that if the Spirit can truly know and feel what that's like, then he who searches hearts, verse 27, God the Father most definitely knows what we're experiencing and going through. And I know he's going to intercede. I know he's going to act on our behalf and according to his will. The invitation tonight is open to all, but I think the sentiments expressed in this verse summarize it nicely. It is for those who say, I am weak. I don't know how. I need help. And so if we can unite with you in prayer in a way that glorifies, I believe, the Spirit of God, or if you want to come and surrender your life to Jesus for the very first time, have your sins washed away, we invite you now to come as together we stand and sing. Oh,
please. Craig, I got to tell you, man, that was amazing. I want to thank you for your work and in, in coming up with that lesson. Uh, I want to thank Kyle for his lesson this morning. We've had an amazing day here at the Buford Church, and uh, I think we are blessed as, as a body that comes together to worship God in spirit and in truth. If you haven't had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, it's been prepared for you in the back. If you'll go back to the lobby, you'll be directed to where that is taking place as we sing first verse of Jesus Loves Me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. song tonight is going to be number 273 273 <clears throat> I know the Lord will find prayer.